The scripture reading this morning is found from a selection of Proverbs uh, in chapter 11, chapter 16, and chapter 18. The first reading is from Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The second reading is from Proverbs 16, verses 5, 18, and 19. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. The final reading comes from Proverbs 18, verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, just as you're grabbing your seats, let me invite you to pray with me, please. Father, I pray that you would give us grace this morning that we would lean in, that we would lean in to receive your word meekly implanted in our hearts. Father, all of us by nature resist your word, your authority, your work in our lives. Father, I pray that we would, we would give up the fight. Pray that we would be a surrendered people. Father, we need your grace to do that. Would you please move in our hearts this morning? And open up your word to us that we may behold wonderful things. Particularly the glory of our our great Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, we're in the book of Proverbs. By the way, I'm I'm Fred. I'm part of the team here. And uh, welcome. Um, We're in the book of Proverbs this summer. And as you know, the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. Um, But, as you've heard in previous weeks, wisdom is is not about just understanding. It's not about uh, just having knowledge. Or it's it's not about, we could say, it's not about having all the right answers to, you know, the big questions. Rather, wisdom is is a way of knowing. Um, it's, It's a way of knowing that enables us to discern and then choose the, the right pathway through life. Let me, let me repeat that. Wisdom is a way of knowing um, how to discern and then how to choose the right way that we should go through life. The Old Testament scholar J.A. Loader writes this, Wisdom is concerned with the correct ordering of life. Wise action is that which integrates people harmoniously into the order that God has created. Now, in order to show us or to sort of lead us in this proper pathway through life, the book of Proverbs does something that's very, very helpful. It often teaches us by way of setting up contrasts. You've noticed that in some of the messages you've heard. For example, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is contrasted with 
foolishness. Um, wickedness is contrasted with righteousness. Laziness is contrasted with diligence. Life is contrasted with death. You get the point. And this is a helpful way uh, to, to sort of discern our pathway through life. These are contrasting themes, really, that run throughout the whole book. This morning, I want to look at another contrasting theme that's very important to the book of Proverbs. It's the contrast between pride and humility. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, you can look up the word pride or humility, and you'll see that these one or both of those themes are explicitly referenced over 30 times in the book. But I want to suggest to you that really the whole book, from chapter 1 to chapter 31, the whole book is really about pride and humility. See, they're, they're implied everywhere you look. So here's what I'm saying. This is why I'm making such a big deal about this. I don't want any of us to think that humility is some sort of little um, ethical add-on to our lives. It's not. Humility is absolutely, indispensably necessary if we are going to live wisely and faithfully in this world, if we're going to discern our path in life according to God's order, His design, His purpose, we need humility. Now, to, to, to make this point, um, the late pastor and preacher John Stott said this, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. I want to introduce you to your greatest enemy this morning and your greatest friend. And I hope you leave embracing your greatest friend. 1,500 years before John Stott said that, Augustine was even more emphatic. Here's what he said. If you ask me concerning the precepts of the Christian religion, first, second, third, and always, I would answer humility. I have three points this morning. First, I want to look at the foolishness of pride. Second, I, I want to look at the wisdom of humility. And then third, I want to consider with you the way of humility. Let's look at the foolishness of pride. In order to understand this, we need to recognize what pride really is. See, essentially, pride is spiritual blindness brought on by an overinflated view of ourselves. If you're taking notes, write that down. Pride is a spiritual blindness that is brought on by having an overinflated 
view of ourselves. See, pride leads us all to imagine that we're a pretty big deal. And that God, if he exists, obviously agrees with us. See, although pride is the oldest of all sin, our contemporary culture celebrates and promotes pride like we've never seen before. One person I read this week said that self-absorption is the mark of our age. Don't we hear endlessly about self-esteem, self-improvement, self-fulfillment, self-realization, self-actualization, self-image? I could go on. We hear it all over the place. And the problem is, what scares me, is that this deep cultural hubris, this fascination and focus on ourselves. I think there's a magazine out there that's just called Self. You know, this deep cultural hubris uh, is never even questioned. We simply accept this as normal. (laughs) This fascination, this self-absorption is the reality in which we live and we move and we have our being. Now, I know I'm being critical of the culture, but let me just add this. I'm probably most concerned about the contemporary church. I don't like what's going on in the culture, and I'm, I'm trying to guard myself from it, to not be uh, squeezed into the mold of the culture, to be conformed to the culture by the renewing of our mind. my mind. I'm, I'm trying that. I hope we're all trying that. But honestly, my greatest concern is not for the culture, but it's for the contemporary church. Do you know why? Because way too often, I would just say it's all the time, way too often, I meet professing Christians who think and speak and live out their lives in the terms of our culture, not in the terms that God's Word gives us. We've been evangelized by the culture. This is our greatest danger. In his very famous book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis has a chapter on pride that is titled, The Great Sin. In it, Lewis asks, how is it possible, or sorry, how is it that people who are quite obviously proud can say that they believe in God and appear to themselves to be very religious? I am afraid, he writes, that they are worshiping an imaginary God. Lewis continues by saying, Whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on not by God, 
but by the devil. Lewis concludes, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud person is always looking down on things and people. And, of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself to be nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. This is why Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, without without reverent submission to the Lord, without a complete surrender of our lives to the Lord God Almighty, the wisdom... The true wisdom that flows from the knowledge of God is impossible for us. And so if we profess to know God, but are are deeply proud people, we only show that we don't know the real God. Pride is essentially the absence, the complete absence of the fear of Yahweh. Now, that's the general nature of pride. But what I want to do briefly is touch on three things that really highlight the foolishness of pride. First, proud people are are just stubborn. That might seem obvious to you, but in the book of Proverbs, stubbornness uh, displays itself by being unteachable. See, instead of trusting in the Lord... The proud person relies on their own understanding of things. Now, this is the equivalent of the all-too-common message that our culture sends us is, just follow your heart. I mean, that's trust in yourselves. Trust in your heart. It'll lead you to where you want to go. Now, by way of contrast with this sort of message... Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. See, our pride, our pride deceives us into thinking that we have the insights and we have the abilities to figure this thing called life out on our own. That's an unquestioned assumption in our culture. I know, I know, we, we might need the help of an expert every now and then. But basically, our pride leads us to imagine that we're a lot wiser than we really are. And pride, pride turns us into a bunch of know-it-alls. So Proverbs 1.7 tells us that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Why do fools despise wisdom and instruction? Because they don't think they need it. 
They're too proud. See, pride is foolishness. Here's what Proverbs 15, 12 says along those lines. A scoffer, just another name for the proud person in Proverbs, a scoffer does not like to be reproved, to be rebuked, to be corrected. He will not go to the wise because he knows that that's what he's going to get from them. Paul, on the other hand, in Romans 15, 14, commends the church in Rome for being able to admonish, to correct one another. Now, this is serious. I think we should all be asking ourselves, am I stubborn and unteachable from God's word? Or do I lean in? Do I seek to, as I prayed, as James says, to meekly receive the word implanted in my heart? That's a diagnostic question that we should all be asking ourselves this morning. Because this is serious. Look at what Proverbs one twenty four to 32 says. This is a solemn warning from divine wisdom. You know how wisdom in the Proverbs is personified. And this is what wisdom says to us. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then you will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my proof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices for the simple, the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. The remedy for this sort of stubbornness is found numerous places in Proverbs. But take a look at Proverbs 3, 7. It's very simple. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Surrender yourself completely to the Lord. And turn away from evil. Turn away from the evil, proud heart of unbelief. That's the first thing. Proud proud people are stubborn. Second, proud people seek their own glory. Now, instead of walking in humble wisdom for the glory of God as we were created. See, pride deceives us all into, into thinking that we should be the center of attention. See, we want to we want to bask in the limelight. Or as Genesis 9 says, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to get somewhere in life. Now these days, 
it seems that, that everyone wants to get in on the celebrity culture. Our status these days is measured by how many subscribers or how many likes or how many views we have on our various social media platforms. Over against this sort of pervasive pride that, that permeates our culture, here's what Proverbs twenty five twenty seven says. It's very simple. It is not glorious to seek one's own glory. Now, frankly, this is why some of us, and I, I got to be careful here with some self-incrimination. This is why some of us talk too much. We want others to hear what we have to say and to be impressed with us, to be impressed with how much we know. And this lands close to home. Years ago, I was at a gathering of some family and friends in North Vancouver. And as the evening went on, I, I managed to corner uh, a small group of people in order to make them hear what I had to say on a certain political topic. It was very important. And after a while of me sort of droning on and droning on, I feel very sorry for those people. My uncle, who overheard me, interrupted and said something like this. Why don't you shut up for a while and listen to what others have to say? And then he added these words, and it was like a dagger. He said, all your talk is foolish. Now, as you can imagine, that wasn't fun. And I, I, rem I remember just this deep anger mixed with embarrassment just rising up in my heart. And I, it wasn't probably a minute and a half before I left the party and I got in my car and I started that ignition and I was driving out of the BP and I was going home. I was back when I lived just next to uh, where you guys are living now. And I drove home. But let me say this. On the way as I drove, it began to dawn on me. My uncle was right. My uncle was right. I was foolish and I was arrogant to want to appear more intelligent, more informed, more savvy, more persuasive than I really was. I was in my early 20s. What did I know? Sorry if you're in your early 20s. <laughs> I'm just informing you. I'm not insulting you. Let me just add that that, that little that little blow to my pride was a very important step for me coming to Christ. See, it's impossible to be proud and really know Jesus. And shortly after I came to Christ, I was reading in the book of Proverbs. And do you know what I saw? I saw myself reflected back to me in the pages of Proverbs Here's what I read in Proverbs 18.2. Here it is. 
A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Well, proud people are stubborn. Proud people seek their own glory. Third, proud people are short-sighted. See, our pride and our selfish ambition may win us a hearing. We may get a gathering. We may get subscriptions and likes and views for a season. But sooner or later, I promise you, pride, our pride will, will bring it all crashing down upon us. Look at Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now think, if you will, think of the litany of, of scandals and ruined careers that have shaken Hollywood and Wall Street and American politics and big corporations and mega churches. Over the past five to ten years. The list is legion. And whatever the details, whatever the specific details of, of what happened to that Hollywood person or, or that mega church pastor or that politician, whatever the details are, I don't really feel as though I'm going too far out on a limb to say that you can trace all of it back to the problem of pride. See, the problem of pride is that it makes us focus on the short term and ignore or deny the larger moral arc that God has built into the cosmos. See, we don't take that into account when we're proud. See, in the end, in the end, God's justice will have the last word. And proud people will never be on the right side of history, no matter what they claim. Look at Proverbs 16, 5. Even if we avoid ruin in this life, Proverbs 16, 5 reminds us that everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not get away with it. How are the conviction levels right about now? Well, that brings me to my second point, the wisdom of humility, or we could also call this point the humility of wisdom. Humility, if I were to try and define it, I would define it as the ability to see spiritual reality, the ability to see things as they really are. So, Humility is the capacity to see ourselves and to see others and to see the world around us in proper relation to God. That's humility. And that might surprise some of you. Because what I, I don't want us to think... That humility is an attitude of sort of self-denigration. I don't want us to think that, that humility is self-deprecation. Or self-pity. Because those are all forms of 
false humility. A number of years ago, I was cut to the heart. I was convicted and cut to the heart. When I read something that another pastor wrote about a form of false humility that I have to admit I'm too familiar with. Here's the part that really spoke to me. The reason that self-pity does not look like pride is that it appears to be needy. But the need arises from a wounded ego. And the desire of the self-pitying is not really for others to see them as helpless, but as heroes. The need self-pity feels does not come from a sense of unworthiness, but from a sense of unrecognized worthiness. It is the response of unapplauded pride. It was piercing. Those words helped me help me confess and repent and, and help me to ultimately see the pride that was lurking under something that I thought was humility. And I've been trying to root that one out many times ever since. Well, that's a brief consideration of, of humility and false humility. I want to just point out or highlight three things that show us how full or how wise real humility is. First, humble people are teachable. No news there. Humble people are eager. Humble people are eager to receive the Lord's instruction. They eat it up. They love it. That's how you could that's 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 the equivalent of the doctor. You know, when you go and see the doctor and he, he, you know, he puts a stethoscope. Yeah, yeah, the heart's beating there, you know, or he takes your pulse, you know. That's kind of a sign of life. If there's, there's no pulse, guess what? You're dead. <laughs> Love for the word is the equivalent of your spiritual pulse. If you don't care... If you don't have a love for God's word, you're spiritually dead. You're teachable because you want to be taught. You want to hear what the the infinite, personal, triune, creator, sovereign God of the universe might have to say. But he speaks. He is there and he is not silent. He has spoken and he has spoken to us in his word and through his son and by his spirit. We can hear it. We can receive it. We can believe it. We can love it. That's the sign of spiritual life. Why don't you reach for your pulse this morning? Just do a little diagnostic. Where are you at? Humble people are teachable. Here's what divine wisdom says in Proverbs 1.23. If you turn at my reproof, by the way, the word of God is always reproving us. The word of God is not an echo chamber. 
Beware, Christian, when the Word of God is always just confirming what you already know and believe and love and enjoy. I've never read the Word of God like that. It's conviction. It's uncomfortable. It searches us to the very, the very joints and marrow. It gets in us. It makes us squirm. It makes us uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. Thank you. So, so Proverbs one twenty three says, If you turn, meaning turn away, if you turn away to avoid my reproof, behold, or sorry, not if you turn toward my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. See, I will make my words known to you. When that conviction comes, don't shut your Bible. Open it. Keep reading. When the Lord is doing a heart work, just stay there. Let them open you up. Because you won't come away unchanged. So often we just get a little uncomfortable. Whoops, uh, got to go to work or got to go to the beach. Or, you know. Several times throughout this great book of Proverbs, we see the tender counsel of a loving father toward his son. Look at what Proverbs 4, 20 and 23 say. My son, be attentive to my words. See, the, the son has to be humble. Be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. You see, to have this attitude to the counsel that we get from our father requires humility. We're teachable. See, the humble person knows that they're unwise and that they're ignorant. They need help. They know their great need for the Lord's instruction. They don't dismiss it. They don't neglect it. They treasure it, nurture it. Second, humble people also seek the good of others. Sometimes when we read the book of Proverbs, we think that this is a book for our individual lives of wisdom. That's not it. This is to equip the people of God to live wisely in the community, in the covenant community of God's people. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. This book is for wise living in relationships with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So it says a lot in the book of Proverbs about how we should speak to others, how we should be generous with others, how we should manage and and watch over our emotions and our attitudes with others. Tells parents how to raise their children. It tells spouses how to love and value each other. It's a very relational book. As you heard several weeks ago, righteousness in the book of Proverbs is the willingness to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of advantaging others. There's a great summary of of sort of the gist of what Proverbs teaches in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's a great summary of how Proverbs gets lived out. I love 1 Peter 5.5. It says something similar. 
Clothe yourselves, Peter says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then he quotes Proverbs 3. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble people are teachable. Humble people seek the good of others. Third, humble people will be exalted. They may be stepped on and passed over in this life, but humble people, because they're humble people, trust the Lord who has promised to exalt them, promised to give them glory and honor. This refrain shows up again and again in the book of Proverbs. So, for example, Proverbs 15.33, here's what we read. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And now here's the refrain. And humility comes before honor. So that leads me to my final point. Leads me to consider with you for a moment the way of humility. See, here's the problem, friends. All of us are proud. All of us are proud. Problem is, we just don't see it. C.S. Lewis, in that chapter I spoke about earlier, he says, there is one vice, he's speaking about pride, he says, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. You know, back in the 18th century, one of the, the founding fathers of America, Benjamin Franklin, he was a deist. He wasn't a Christian. He was a deist. And he was a moralist. And, and, and he wanted to be a virtuous man. He was a, he was a moralist. And so... He vowed to, he made up a chart of these 12 virtues and he he would look at them every week and say, how am I doing in this area and in that area and in this area? And he, he, he would try and chart his growth. And a friend of his said to him, you know, everybody thinks you're arrogant. Everybody thinks you're proud. So you know what he did? He added a 13th virtue to his list. He added humility. And after trying to pursue humility for several years, Franklin finally admitted that he may have been better at appearing humble than actually being humble. Here's what he wrote in his autobiography. In reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive and will every now and then peep out and show itself. For even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. (laughs) Honest guy. Here's the thing. We cannot grow in true humility on our own. We cannot, we will not grow in humility if we look inwardly to the self. We have to look outward. We have to look upward. Specifically, we have to look to Christ. We have to look to Christ. And I'm not just talking about a passing glance. I'm talking about fixing our gaze on the Lord of glory. I love what Jesus says. If, if this, this is just an invitation to us all. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, in Christ, the glorious, eternal, exalted God has come into our world to deliver us from the bondage and blindness of our pride. Here's what Philippians 2, 5 to 8 says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hang on to it, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, pride is ultimately our foolish attempt to become God, to be like God. But God the Son laid aside his glory. He didn't grasp onto his equality with God the Father. He laid it all aside and he became a man. He became not just a man, but a humble servant. The Lord of glory came to serve. He was crucified and killed in our place. He bore God's punishment for my pride and for your pride. Christ was crucified for us. Why? In order that we might come to our senses. In order that we might see the truth that we are sinners in need of a great Savior. And He has come. And He has come to bring us out of our bondage and our blindness. And He has come to reconcile us to His Father. He has come to adopt us into His family. He has come to open our eyes and give us life. He's gentle and lowly in heart. Look at him. When we turn away from our proud unbelief and we humbly embrace this glorious good news about Jesus Christ, God shows us who we really are in relation to him. We're loved. We're loved with a love that is beyond our ability to fully grasp. We're secure. Thinking too much of ourselves or thinking too lowly of ourselves. Proud people just forget about themselves. Why? Because they're so captivated with God's goodness, God's grace poured out upon their lives. There's no, why waste time being fixated on the big me? Who cares? I assure you, Nobody else cares. Somebody said that to me. No one else cares for you as much as you care about you. Stop worrying about what everybody's thinking. That's true. I don't think about a whole bunch of other people all the time. They're not fixated on my mind all the time. I think about me, myself, and I, my favorite trinity. 
I've still got work. This is how Philippians 2, 9 to 11 concludes. Therefore, therefore, because of his death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, sooner or later, friends, sooner or later, we are all going to be humble. We will all bow the knee to King Jesus. And that day can either be a a day of great shame and humiliation or a day of great glory and joy. So let me close by saying, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before Jesus. Confess your sin to him. Confess your pride to him. Just go looking for pride. You're going to find it in a lot of places. (laughs) And that's the way of wisdom. That's the way of life. That's the way of grace. I promise you, he doesn't turn away anyone who comes to him in humble dependence to do for them what they can never do for themselves. Let's pray. Father, would you please, in your great mercy, reach out and touch our lives by your spirit. Help us to be a humble, submitted people who are teachable who are seeking the good of others and who ultimately have an eternal perspective would you help us I pray in Jesus name Amen Thanks for listening For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver please visit ChristCityChurch.ca We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.